welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 268, interviews with three of the NWTF National Board of Director nominees. And I am your host and the guy who survived another annual guys trip. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. But right now we are 93 days, 11 hours, 15 minutes and 19 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I told you guys last week in the intro and outro that I was headed to pick up my buddy John from the airport and we were going to hunt squirrels and rabbits and possibly deer for the next three days. And what we ended up doing was squirrel hunting. After our first morning of squirrel hunting, we were all too tired to go out and rabbit hunt. We absolutely wore the squirrels out. We had two very good mornings of squirrel hunting, and we ended up killing right at about 40 squirrels in two mornings of hunting. So it was very productive, a lot of action, a great time watching the dogs work, and of course, great fellowship as well. I always enjoy that trip. Even if we don't kill anything on that trip, it's always a good time. So today, I have for you guys interviews with three of the nominees for the NWTF National Board of Directors. And I like bringing these interviews to you so you will know who to vote for for the National Board of Directors. And for you guys who are members of the NWTF, you've got a ballot in your November-December edition of Turkey Country Magazine with six names on it. And you can only vote for three of the nominees. And I know from personal experience that when I don't know any of the nominees any more than the little blurb that they give in the magazine for each nominee, it makes it really difficult to decide on who to vote for. And in the past, before I had the podcast, what I would do when I would vote for the National Board of Director nominees is I would go through and I would pick three of the candidates who were in the Southeast. Is that the best way of doing it? No, but I didn't feel like I got enough information from the bios that are in the magazine to be able to make an informed decision. Well, now since I've started hosting the show and I've had these nominees on the show in the past, I feel like I can make much more informed decisions about who to vote for. And so that's what I've got for you today. 
is the first of the interviews with the nominees. Now, I'm delivering these to you in no particular order other than it's the order that I've been able to get in contact with the nominees and the order that I've been able to interview them. There is no order of preference for me whatsoever, as if that would really matter to you, because I know you can all think for yourselves. But let's go ahead and jump into the first interview, and that interview is with Joe Judd from Shelburne, Massachusetts. Listen in closely to Joe, and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Joe Judd, who is from Shelburne, Massachusetts, and Joe is one of the candidates who is running for the NWTF National Board of Directors. And so I wanted to get Joe on today to tell us a little bit more about himself and why he's running for the Board of Directors. So Joe, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good, Andy, and thanks a lot for the opportunity. Good deal. Well, thank you for joining us and taking time out of your schedule to come on and Tell us a little bit more about yourself and that kind of thing. So speaking of that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. Okay. Well, as you know, I I live in New England, Massachusetts. And so turkey hunting up here started, you know, very, very late in regards to the sport itself in the South. It's been going on many decades, you know, before it started in New England. In Massachusetts, it really didn't start until about 1980. So I was, I had grown up in a hunting family and hunted small game and deer since I was about 16 years old. And somebody told me that you could hunt something in the springtime in New York and around 1978. And I was like, oh, what's that? And they said turkeys. And I thought, wow. I mean, you know, I, I, I was used to putting my, putting my, my gear away in February after small game season, but now all of a sudden you can pick it up again and hunt something in the spring in, in a state very close to where I live. So I thought, yeah might as well try this and see what it's all about. And that was a very humbling journey, Andy, <laughs> because it, t- it took me a long time to understand the port of the sport of turkey hunting, especially in those days, because there was nobody, nobody in New England at the time that could really give you any kind of, any kind of pointers. There was very little turkey hunting literature or turkey hunting knowledge to, to be given mm-hmm. in this part of the world. When the season started in 1980 in Massachusetts, they gave out the first season, they gave out 67 permits, and I didn't draw. And so I just sat on a ridge that morning and listened, and very very few hunters and very few turkeys. So it was a very, very simple and humbling experience that turned into a lifelong obsession that's taken me to a lot of places that I never expected to be. Yeah. So you learned how to turkey hunt the hard way, basically being self-taught pretty much yeah it was you know i read everything i could i could i could find i bought a tape from a um a sam's army navy store in brattleboro vermont that was a ben rogers league cassette mm-hmm. that would talk about you know he would talk about you know you say i'm gonna i'm gonna do some turkey calls now this is a hen this is a cluck and i would listen to that you know i'm just joking i would listen to that every day on the way to work trying to figure out how to use a diaphragm which was a lesson in frustration yeah because no one could show you. I didn't understand even what a turkey sounded like. So yeah, it was it was trial and error until around the middle of the 80s when I met Dick Kirby, which is another another part of my turkey hunting story in relation to learning. And when I met him, everything began to change. Yeah, yeah, I bet. It's quite a mentor to have in for hunting, period, but much less turkey hunting. 
Yeah, and I never. I mean, I I I met him in a very again a very you know non non assuming way. It was very you know simple way. I met him at a seminar, and we hit it off. And he used to come to uh, Bennington, Vermont, from his in the early days of his of his business over in New York, and he would sell turkey calls in in the in the springtime in an old A.M.P. store. Mm-hmm. And we'd go over there, and he would show me how to stretch diaphragms. We became good friends, and a few years later, I. I joined his pro staff, and I started traveling with him in the South with him and Ernie Calandrelli and his boys and Dave Streb and all these guys from Quaker Boy. And when I started going South, my my knowledge expanded because those guys in the South, I mean, we up in New England, we grew up with rattles in our cribs, but those guys down South, they grew up with turkey calls in their cribs. <laughs> and they began, to, they began to show me things that I never, ever would have gained the knowledge had I not had the good fortune to meet and become good friends with Dick. I've been on that staff now for over 30 years, and his son now, Chris, and I are are tight, and uh, I'll be loyal to that company and that family for whatever whatever days I have left on this earth. Yeah, I bet. So tell me a little bit about why you are running for the National Board of Directors of the NWTF. Well, again, that's, that's another pretty humble experience. I mean, I have been a member of the NWTF, since around 1983, and when our when our chapters up here first began to form, and so I've run I've run the gamut. You know, I've I've done the grunt work. I've started at the bottom and worked my way up to state chapter president. Been to many conventions and did a lot of stuff in the in the 80s and 90s. That was the grassroots efforts of this of this organization to get it started in New England. Did a good job. I've been a member of the board of directors in my state pretty much since the beginning. Okay. And I never thought I would be nominated for this position, much less that I ever think that I'd have an opportunity to actually be in the final final six. But I was nominated recently by my by my state chapter and unbeknownst to me. And then I got the call that the nomination had been accepted by the by the people down at NWTF and that I was one of the final six and you know, I was very surprised and very happy at the same time because I think I have a lot of a lot of years behind me in this organization, met a lot of people, hunted with a lot of them, and certainly think I am someone that would be dedicated to the position if I were fortunate enough to be elected and would do the best I could to to, to support the NWTF and represent my state as well as the entire NWTF family. Yeah, very good. So there are five other people who are running for the National Board of Directors, and of course I'm not even coming close to to saying tell us why you're better because yeah they're all good but yeah. tell us what separates you from the other candidates and what you can bring to the board and why we should cast one of our three votes for you well the one thing that you just mentioned there Andy is absolutely right i mean every one of these people are quality individuals as are every every person as is every person on that board. Over the years, I've watched that board evolve, and it's no different now as it was at the very beginning. I mean, you look at people on that board, and you read their resumes, and they're all quality individuals. So to even be even be considered with that group, you know, is a real honor for me, and an honor for my entire state, and for everyone that I've ever worked with in the NWTF. You don't you don't get nominated for these positions by by being a loner. You have to have good people around you because it isn't just a nomination for me, it's for all of them as well. 
people I've worked with. So I wouldn't even begin to think that I was a better candidate than any of these people. But I do believe that I have certain attributes that I could bring to this board that that might help in relation to the work that NWTF does. And the one thing that I'm very focused on is is those grassroots efforts that I've already mentioned about volunteerism and what it takes to keep these chapters engaged and what it takes to make them feel like like they're not out there alone, that there is a, a larger organization that supports them and that there are people in that organization who are, are very, very engaged in, in regards to what every state in this country is doing in regards to NWTF chapters. And I'd be very focused on sportsmen and their issues and uh, what they bring to the table in relation to what NWTF is. Sometimes you hear out there that, you know, money tends to drive a lot of our organization, and I I never felt that way with NWTF, even though I think there has been some misinformation over the years that might lend people to to think that way. And I'd work hard to make sure that that fallacy is not really reality. I think that this organization is dedicated to sportsmen and what they do, sportswomen, and my goal would be to, to focus on sportsmen's issues and to work with this organization to make sure that sportsmen are not forgotten and that this great sport of hunting that we have today uh, remains intact and that this organization continues to support that as much as they can. Yeah. So that's all good information and I appreciate you sharing that. You know, we get such a small little snippet about all of the nominees who are running for the board in the Turkey Country magazine. And it's good for us members of the NWTF to be able to hear from the individuals who are running for the board and get to know you a little bit better and understand what your motivation is behind wanting to be on the board. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, that's that's definitely my focus is is sportsmen's issues and to make sure that, that those issues are not forgotten. Yeah. So I enjoy talking NWTF and I can do it all day long, but there's <laughs> a few things I enjoy more than that. And one of those yeah. is turkey hunting stories. So can you share the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and one or two things that you did during that hunt or maybe that happened during that hunt that made that hunt a success for you? Yeah, uh, yeah that's an interesting question because last year in particular, would be what I'd probably focus on because it was a good season. I hunted in a number of states, and and it's hard to, to think about one that may stand out. But I think probably one hunt last year that probably stands out more than another is I was hunting in Massachusetts, which is have a lot of hills in, in New England, a lot of mountains, and so we're oftentimes hunting birds that are that are in the hills, you know, not unlike West Virginia and places like that. It's 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 an environment here that lends itself to lots and lots of forest. Right. And sometimes you find yourself, you know, ridge running in areas that you that you wonder exactly where the heck would turkeys be if they aren't gobbling and if you're not hearing them. And, and that was the case toward the end of the season last year. Uh, they just got tight-lipped on me in this one area that I was hunting. And what I was actually doing was, you know, starting off the mornings and trying to fill my last tag and not making any sound at all, just listening to try to hear birds. And all I was hearing was distant gobbles until one morning, very close to the end. And 
I heard this bird down by the Deerfield River in a town called Conway, Massachusetts. And he was way below where I was, and I knew I had to beat feed it to get down there to set up on that bird because he, once he's went, you know what it's like once they're down. Yeah. Once they're down, the game changes. So I managed to get to get set up on this bird, and he was down. He was down when I got there, and I knew it was going to be a challenge to get this bird. So I could tell just by the way he was gobbling that, that he was an older bird. So I didn't have a chance to set up decoys. It just wasn't time. And so he was probably 100 yards in front of me. And I, a, t- a, a trick that I learned from, er- from Ernie Calandrelli a number of years ago in a situation like this that was similar in Pennsylvania was I decided to turn myself away from the turkey completely mm-hmm. and get, my, get, my, get myself facing the opposite direction of where the bird was. So I turned around and got myself set up on the other side of this maple tree that I was sitting, sitting up against and started throwing you know, soft purrs and yelps the complete opposite direction of the way the bird was coming, uh, trying to trying to give uh, give the impression that there was hens out far beyond him, rather than necessarily moving towards him or in the pasture above him. Right. And it took a few minutes, but sure enough, it that bird broke. And about 20 minutes later, I could hear him drumming, and he he came walking to my right, about probably 20 yards to my right, just slowly moving toward those sounds that were echoing off the hill, you know, off to the east from where I was sitting. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that that tactic that late in the year, when I know this bird had been pushed, where I was even fortunate, I think, to hear him gobble because he was a three-year-old, where I was even fortunate to hear him gobble that late in the season. And he only gobbled, you know, once or twice. If I hadn't been on the, you know, Johnny on the spot that morning, I probably would have never heard him. And I think that tactic that Ernie taught me years ago helped me fool this old Tom and uh, make him think something that was a little different than perhaps what he'd been hearing. Yeah. And, uh, and I managed to harvest them that morning. That's awesome. So were there a bunch of hens in the area that you know of? Uh, there were no hens oh, wow. that morning. I, mean, I, mean, I, I didn't hear a hen. I mean, I think most of the hens at that point in time had already been off, you know, on the nest for some time. It was okay. very late in May. And to be honest, Andy, I hadn't heard a hen for about three or four days. Okay. Which I also think probably helped. But this bird, these, these gobblers that were around this area, and I knew they were there, had gone so tight-lipped because it was coming toward the end. I hadn't been fortunate enough to get into that period where they had that last series of gobbling, and they just sort of went crazy because they realized all the hens were gone. Right. And that morning I just was lucky to I was high enough above this bird where I heard him off in the distance. I knew the way down to where he was relatively well and but i thought anything other than what i did might not be so so positive to try to do and i remembered that trick that ernie taught me and uh it worked i was fortunate enough to to kill that bird and it was a nice bird yeah so after you turned your back to him and started calling that way did you turn back to face the direction that he was a little bit i did not i did not i kept throwing those calls away from him hoping that he would do exactly what he did and that was to walk past me Mm-hmm. There was there was plenty of room to my right, which really was the wrong way for him to come from from my vantage point. But I managed to let him keep moving far enough in yeah. front of me to where I could get the gun up on him and make a good shot. Yeah. So no, I never I never turned around again. When I heard him drumming, I I stopped calling completely, and I didn't call much as it was, Andy, because. You know, as you know, it was late in the season, and, you know, I find that, you know, calling too much and calling too loud at that particular point in time, 
never really lends itself to much. Right. At least in New England, because we have such pressure up here. We don't have a lot of ground to hunt on. If you're fortunate enough to be on private property, it's, it's a real gift, you know. Yeah. But even then, even then, these birds hear a lot of stuff. And same way when I'm locating, I'm always trying to use different things as the season goes on later, you know. Yeah. If I haven't filled my tag, I'm trying to, you know, birds go tight-lipped and you, you, know, you can't even get them to gobble in the morning. I hope I'm not the only person that's ever happened to. Hmm. And, um, you know, you have, to, you have to change your tactics up and thankful that I remembered that because I think it might not have been, I don't know if it would have been the same conclusion, to be honest with you, but that's what I did and it, it served me well and I called Ernie that day and I thanked him for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Ernie's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, I thanked him for teaching me that. Yeah, very good. I know he was probably very excited to hear that it worked for you. <laughs> he was, you know, you know how he's, how he is. He's a, he's a pretty jovial guy. We, yeah, he is. We were texting the other day because, you know, he retired from Quaker Boy. Yeah. And we were, uh, he was talking, I just, my, my first book just came out and I was, I'm, I'm an outdoor writer and you don't know if I told you that. No, you didn't. Yeah. I'm, I've been writing for about 40 years and oh, wow. I just finished my first book and I sent Ernie a copy because he's in it and we're talking about that. So, well, we hadn't talked about this at all, but you want to give me, give us a 30, 45, 60 second plug on the book and tell us a little bit about it because I can tell you I'm already interested in it and I don't yeah. even know anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to. It's called On the Ridge, Stories of a New England Hunter. Okay. And it I wouldn't call it a Pulitzer Prize winner, but it touches on three phases of my hunting life and it's not it's not what you call deep reading, but it's it talks about different phases of my hunting of my hunting life in relation to deer hunting, which I love. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about that. Turkey hunting and which is like, you know, an obsession with me now. I just like I said before, it's taken me into all different directions and memories of hunts that I've had with my children and when they were little, my family when I was growing up and and different experiences like that. So uh, there's some funny stories in there. I do a lot of seminar work and when I talk to people, I, I, I very seldom talk about my successes. I talk mainly about my failures and as a hunter, there's a lot of them because you don't always succeed and I think people learn from hearing about people like you and me not having the best of luck, and Absolutely. so there's some stories in there like that, and there's a few in there where you know I talk about some good days. So I've sold a few, and and I think it, it's a nice read. It's like I say, it's not going to take you months to get through, but it, I, I did it mainly so my grandchildren would know who their grandpa was someday. Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. So how can yeah. we get a copy of the book? Uh, you can email me. You can email me at uh, JJ on the Ridge at Comcast.net. Okay. And I'd be happy to, you can, you can give me your address and I'd be happy to send you a book and you can send me back $10 and 95 cents and I'll sign it for you if you'd like. And, uh, love to get some out to your, your listeners, because I think if you're a hunter, you, you'll like this book because it's, it's, it's a humble, non-assuming book about a guy who, who loves hunting and has done it for a long time in a different part of the world than maybe some of your listeners actually, actually yeah. have ever hunted. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I've got quite a few book nuts who listen to the show who I'm sure will be emailing you and asking you for a signed copy. So I'm pretty sure that my email will be to you before theirs will, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, that'd be, that would be awesome. I would love to, I'd love to put one in your hands and let you read about life in the Northeast. Yeah, fantastic. Or at least, say, let's say, I'm sure you've been here, but let's say hunting life in the Northeast. Yeah, I've got a group of friends who 
go on an out-of-state turkey hunting trip. It's a group of guys from college, and we go on an out-of-state turkey hunting trip every year, go somewhere different. We're in the process of pursuing our Super Slam. And this past year, we were in Maine, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and had very good luck up there. And then this year, we're coming to this, well, in 2020, we'll be coming to Massachusetts, Connecticut, and I'm hoping to squeeze in Rhode Island as well. So that'll yeah, we'll that's be up a, that Rhode Island's a challenge. Yes, yeah, that's what I hear. But yeah, but when you're in Massachusetts, I hope you give me a jingle. I love to you know either maybe have a meal with share a meal with you guys or just come and watch you do your thing. Well, that that would be awesome. That'd be a lot of fun. And are you going to be in Nashville in February? Uh, you know, I'm not sure yet about that. I'm not quite okay. sure about that. I do, like I say, I do. My seminar season starts in January, Andy, mm-hmm. and I'm oftentimes find myself in, in a conflict with that show. But I, I don't think, in, really, in regards to the board of directors, if I if I was fortunate enough to get elected, that it would matter if I was there this year or not. Right. Because I would have to. I have to. If 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 that happens, and I'm not at all. I mean, I, I it would be wonderful if it did, but. But there's a lot of people that are very, very good candidates here. But if I were elected to this position, I'd have to figure that out going forward in regards to our schedule in February so I could be at these meetings when they happen. Yeah, very good. Well, then, definitely, if you're going, if by chance you make it to Nashville, please shoot me a text message or give me a call, and I'd love to meet up with you there. But if I don't see for, see you or hear from you there, then when we get to Massachusetts in early May, I will definitely give you a buzz and see if we can meet up. That'd be great to share dinner or even that would be super. That'd be even better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just like to come and hang with you guys. I don't need to hunt. I just come and hang out with you and watch out, watch how the, uh, is it, you're from Alabama, right? That's correct. Yeah. Watch how the Alabama connection hunts Northern turkeys. I'd love to watch that. You could watch us get humbled. <laughs> um, you did, you, you did pretty well. You said when you're up here before, I tell you, Maine is a heck of a, it's a heck of a turkey hunting state, isn't it? It is. We had yeah. a we had a very interesting hunt in Maine. It was a lot of fun. I, I bet you did. Yeah. I, yeah. It's amazing how those birds have have taken hold up there. I remember years ago, they said they never survive above Augusta. Mm-hmm. I guess they proved that wrong. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. they're starting to take over Canada at this point. So. They are starting to take over Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, Joe. Okay. I certainly do appreciate your time today, and I understand you're headed to the Deer Woods to, this afternoon. I am, so yeah. I wish you a lot of I luck am. there. Thanks. And I wish you a lot of luck in the vote for the board of directors. I appreciate it, Andy. And if it if it happens, it will be great. But if it doesn't, you know, just the honor of being part of this great group of people who are being considered is is enough for me. I definitely can understand that. Good deal. Well, thank you very much again, and let's stay in touch, and I wish you good luck this afternoon, and be safe, too. Same to you, and have a happy holiday, Andy. Thank you, Joe. You, too. All right, man. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Joe Judd. Joe is a super nice guy. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with him on the phone, and... He also was very patient with me because our first interview that I had scheduled with him, well, I had a little technical difficulty and I could not get the interview done. We didn't even record it, which I guess was good, but I still spent about 30 minutes on the phone with him just chatting. And while I was trying to get the problem fixed, 
with a computer. But despite my difficulties, Joe was nice enough to reschedule with me and come back on a different time. So there is Joe Judd from Shelburne, Massachusetts. While we're on the topic of Joe's, our next interview is with Joe Foster from McCammon, Idaho. And Joe is another super nice guy. I enjoyed my interview with Joe. I want you guys to listen in to that interview, and I will see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Joe Foster, who is from the great state of Idaho. And Joe is one of the nominees for the NWTF Board of Directors that you guys who have your Turkey Country magazine have the ballot in there, and uh, we want to put a voice and a personality with that name that you see on that ballot. And so I wanted to get Joe on and give us a little bit of information about himself. So, Joe, how are you today? I'm good, Andy. Thanks. Good. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. I was originally from Minnesota, and I moved to Idaho when I was relatively young in junior high or so, and I've lived in Idaho most of my life. Idaho hasn't been a turkey state very long. I started turkey hunting about 20 years ago or so, and there weren't very many turkeys around at that time. In the last 20 years, I've kind of been involved in various aspects of the National Wild Turkey Federation, and I've served the last uh, three last three terms as a state chapter president in Idaho. And in that time, and since I've started around, we've kind of gone from not having many turkeys to actually having a pretty liberal general season and a lot of opportunity for hunters in Idaho. Oh, yeah. Well, the wild turkey is currently a success story in Idaho because I know there are a lot of parts of the state where they're overrun with turkeys And so what you guys have done with the NWTF there in Idaho is very commendable. And, you know, I think that y'all have done a great job up there. It's been pretty fun. We've mostly focused on habitat projects. Uh, Northern Idaho is kind of where they have a pretty heavy population and it has mostly to do with the terrain. We have a lot of mountains in the state, obviously, and the turkeys tend to do just fine in the summer. They kind of uh, go up with the snow line and disappear most of the summer and then in the winter, they come down and usually congregate in on agricultural lands or in you know places where they're less liked i guess that time of year and so we've started doing quite a few projects to try to build some habitat projects in, in lower elevations but away from private lands and on public lands this summer i was heavily involved in a thousand roost tree project here in southeastern idaho actually pretty near my home where we planted over a thousand trees in eight different sites on a wildlife management area. And we put another 500 trees in a tree yard for future use. And it's done quite well. Uh, we started out, you know, with in cooperation with the Idaho Department of Fish and Game in this area. We've done quite a few projects with them. And then that project actually turned out where a lot of other civic organization showed up and helped us plant trees. It was a pretty big project, but we not only planted them and, you know, took care of them, put fencing around them and a lot of wood chips, but we also had people volunteer all summer to water those trees and help them through the dry period. So it's done quite well. 
it's getting a lot of interest in the state. And we could say our tree yard that we have here that we've planted, we've been loaning out trees to different parts of the state and doing quite a few things. And that's in addition to some of the other programs that we've handled out here over the last several years. Yeah. So just out of curiosity's sake, what kind of trees did you guys plant? We did a little bit of everything. We've been, for a few years now, we've been trying out different types of trees. The turkeys seem to really like things like hawthorns, which are not that desirable for landowners to put on their property. They're kind of a big stickery bush, but they have a pretty good winter food source um, on them. But we've also planted quite a few pines. We've been trying some different types of oaks that seem to work if we can acclimatize them slowly and get some water to them for the first couple of years. We'll also do quite a few elderberries, some different types of choke cherries, crab apples, and a real mix. We've even put in some uh, walnuts and some other things in some of the areas. Kind of a combination of roost trees, some hard mass and soft mass food, food sources. And really, it's we're doing it to benefit all wildlife in these wildlife management areas. It's not specifically earmarked for turkeys, but the turkeys have done quite well there. And it seems to be working to keep the turkeys off the roads and up a little further onto the wildlife management area instead of down on the bottoms where we don't want them to be. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So tell us how you got into turkey hunting. <laughs> Actually, I started with my dad. He was kind of my hunting buddy and partner for many years. And Idaho is kind of an elk and deer state. We've done a lot of, you know, hunting in the fall together and did a little bit of bear hunting in the spring, but there really weren't any other opportunities. And he kind of got me interested in turkey hunting. We kind of did together. And the only warning he gave me, it would, it would, it would ruin my life. <laughs> yeah. it's, been quite, it's been quite the opposite. It's actually been a great benefit. And what he meant, of course, was, you know, tongue in cheek, just that it's a lot of fun and pretty exciting. And so we started getting involved, but had to travel quite a ways to even go anywhere where there were turkeys in Idaho. And like I say, in the last oh, 20 years, my my daughter in grade school introduced me to the Wild Turkey Federation. There was actually a group of people that took her grade school class out to release some turkeys in this area. And I got introduced to some of the folks that were kind of the originators in this area for turkeys. And as I said, I got involved with the local chapter and then, you know, started to be the, you know, run the local chapter here and then went on to the state chapter and have done that for quite a while now. And I've seen really the turkey hunting here blossom. We have a 45 day spring season with two turkeys and we have a 75 day fall season for any turkey, which is pretty good. And then on top of that, there are pretty good youth hunts on both ends of all of our seasons so that, you know, allow youth to hunt separately from the general season. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about why you're running for the National Board of Directors of the NWTF. Sure. I've, you know, like I said, been involved on the state level. I've been involved in several projects here and at the state level that have gotten some ground with national attention on, you know, bringing people to the field looking looking for ways to find people that are, I don't want to really say non-traditional, but people that either haven't hunted in a long time or are interested in hunting, but don't know how to kind of cross that threshold to become hunters. We've done several of those programs here, you know, turkey tune-ups, which a lot of people do, but we've also done some field-to-table programs where we, you know, do everything from show all the A to Z of turkey hunting down to butchering a turkey and then actually preparing several dishes with a turkey. And most recently, I've done uh, three now, I think. I've hosted 
some uh, we have a program in Idaho called Wild About, and they take a different species and do several programs. And the Wild About turkey programs are usually handled here at my home. We bring in 30 teachers from around the state, bring them in, go through all of the things about turkeys. They develop a lesson plan right before Thanksgiving and go back out to their classrooms, which are, you know, around 20 to 30 students. And we figure we're reaching over a thousand students that way in at least talking about, you know, turkeys and turkey hunting and what we do and how we do it in the state. And it's been a very popular program. It's uh, We're doing another one this fall. And doing those type of programs, I start to realize that there are some things that I think I could probably share more on a national level to help bring people around to just considering different ways. Every region has their own issues, their own you know challenges and getting people to the field or going through. But I find that we kind of put together some things that seem to work pretty well, and I'd like to be able to share that on a more national level. And work-wise, I was a risk manager for a major railroad in the West for 30 years and did a lot of work with organizations and, you know, solving problems for the railroad and doing those type of things. And I think I can bring a lot of those skills to the table and hopefully be some benefit on a national level. Yeah, very good. So my next question for you is to tell us a little bit about what you think separates you from the other candidates. And of course, I know you wouldn't say anything bad about the other candidates who are or nominees who are running because you're not that kind of guy. But, and of course, I would never <laughs> ask you that. But really, you know, what is it about you in particular that separates you from the others who are running? Well, I, I actually have met most of them. I've gone to several leadership programs with Wild Turkey Federation, and I've met most of them either at national convention or in other, other capacities. They all seem to be very, you know, capable people. Probably what I have that's a little different from the rest is partially the geographic location. Things are a little different terrain-wise and in the West. I know it's not premier turkey hunting country compared to people that live in the South or Midwest or even back in the East, but it is coming on, becoming pretty popular. I think we're growing out here as far as number of turkey hunters. Probably the best example I can give you is we've had a draw hunt here that has always had tags left over for the last four or five years. And this year, for the first time, it's sold out right away. And we have our interest in our classes. Our interest in a lot of things that we do is growing. And so I think I have a pretty good handle on, at least in the West, how, you know, things are working along and helping develop some things. And I have also been involved, like I say, work-wise and my past experience-wise and developing a lot of different programs for different organizations to help meet the needs of everybody and kind of take everybody's you know, needs into account and not put together programs that last pretty long and work out pretty well and are successful. So what you don't know about me is I hunted in Idaho a couple of years ago and it was phenomenal hunting. So, you know, when you say that you don't think that turkey hunting is as big up there in the Northwest as it is maybe in the South or along the East Coast, I think that's a good thing <laughs> as <Yeah>. a hunter. <laughs> well, it, it's pretty funny because, you know, we're not a big population state. Idaho is about 1.3 million people. And I say I we have very liberal seasons as far as time and bag limit. And, you know, I rarely ever see another hunter. In the last couple of years, usually after our turkey tune-up classes, we kind of do mentored hunts and we assign people that have never hunted with people that do hunt. And I've, <laughs> for some reason, get 
some of the more challenging hunts out of those. I have a guy and his wife that I met. Uh, he was uh, had some lung issues from a congenital disease and actually was a bilateral or a double lung transplant. Mm. And he and I, he wanted to shoot a turkey. And so he and I and his wife went out on several occasions. And, you know, although we we weren't successful, but primarily because he didn't want to sit in someone's driveway or in a barn or something and shoot a turkey as it walked by. He wanted to be, you know, out in the field. So we had a lot of great experiences and a lot of near misses, so to speak. But, you know, became quite good friends. He ended up being on our committee. Unfortunately, he since then has passed away and, you know, asked me to be a ball bear at his funeral, you know, before he died. But he still has, you know, been a big part of our group and gone through. I've also, last spring, we had a, a wheelchair hunter who came out on my property to get a turkey and he didn't really it's funny because you kind of also didn't want any help you know he sat with his daughter his teenage daughter down in a blind for the first day and they didn't do very well he came back the second day and decided to leave his wheelchair in the blind uh, crawl down to the creek put mud all over his face crawled into the bushes and he shot a, a jake and he wow. called me up you know on the, the morning and he said i just got a turkey and i was oh that's great and he goes yeah i guess my they're sure shaking right now. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty funny. And you just watch the transition of people go from not quite understanding, you know, how to get into this or what they're trying to do and then see the excitement. And then, you know, again, this last spring, I, I never think about this, but one of our conservation officers that I do a lot of work with in problem turkeys, you know, where we, I sign up as a volunteer with fish and game and do some trap and transport out of some areas where they become problematic, you know, some farms or dairies, that type of thing. And he and I developed a relationship over time. And he said, you know, I've really never been turkey hunting. And he and I went out and had a just an unbelievable time. We both got a turkey on the day we went out. And when we were driving home, he started giving me a little grief about how I've kind of ruined him. You know, he's always considered himself to be an elk and deer hunter. And he says, now, uh, he says, I'll probably have to answer to his wife about his new love of uh, spring turkey hunting. <laughs> so... so those are all fun to watch and, you know, to see him too make a transition where he understood that it's not just that, you know, you have to deal with management of hunters or turkeys or landowners, that type of thing, but kind of seeing the other end of it and seeing why it is so much fun and, you know, how much fun it is to do. So yeah. that's kind of why I'm in it. And that's why I really enjoy it. And I think we do a pretty good job of uh, making opportunities for people to do those type of things. Yeah, very good. So I love a turkey hunting story, and I know all the listeners of the show enjoy one as well. Can you tell us the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and one or two things that you did on that hunt that made that hunt a success for you or the hunter you were with? Yeah, and most of my stories recently, I, I love to turkey hunt by myself, but I also enjoy as much picking other people. And I've had like I said, numerous times where I've taken people out and helped them get their first turkey. One of my more recent ones was taking a friend out who, again, had never been turkey hunting. And as we set up, I could hear turkeys coming up this draw toward us. We were in the mountains and we were above them and I could hear them way down at the bottom and called and they answered. And I thought, oh, okay, that's, you know, there's something down there, but I really wasn't getting my hopes up too much. And we walked about 50 more yards and said, maybe I just better call again and called again. And they were about half the distance from us and i realized you know they were running right at us mm -hmm. so i just had him plop down kind of get all set up kind of explain to him you know where to put his gun how to set up don't move you know and then i ran up the hill above him about 20 yards and and kept calling and it was pretty interesting because the turkeys came up and stopped 
dead right in front of him and strutted around and spun around gobbling and going crazy when I was calling, not within 10 yards of him. And then he, he got a turkey. And then after he shot the turkeys, they went by him and came up by me and I got a turkey. So it was pretty good double whammy. And he was, like I say, you could see immediately he went from this isn't going to work to becoming a lifetime turkey hunter. And we've turkey hunted, you know, we always have a plan and always have somewhere to go. And we travel around different parts of the state and I actually live in a very unique place. I live in a canyon in Southeast Idaho and I can't see a neighbor. And I have about 75 turkeys at roost right outside my door every night in the winter. I don't see much of them in the summer, but so I do get to observe and see and it's real beneficial for just, I just love watching them. Also when we do some of these programs, um, it's kind of nice to have people come out and they're always, you know, going to see birds. And one of the things I do with the teachers, I'll put up some blinds in the yard, kind of hidden back in some trees, and I can set them up to where the turkeys fly down literally right in front of the teachers and do what they normally go about doing in the morning and putting a bunch of teachers out in a blind and <laughs> trying to get them to be real quiet and sit there and go through it and then hear all the, you know, the morning wake up, the turkeys start to, you know, stir, then fly down and usually gobble and go crazy and do all the things right in front of them. It's to them, most of them say that's kind of the highlight of, of their experience when they come out to those programs as well. Yeah. So it's been pretty fun. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's a that's a pretty good story of your of your hunt there. I like that. So the birds after the hunter you were with shot, did they run past you? I mean, the shot scare them and they, they run ran, past you, or they just continue coming your yeah, way? Yeah, they were already they were already even with the my friend who was down okay. below me, and they just came by him up the canyon thinking they were getting away while they ran right into me. Yeah. Which uh, I guess a couple of them got away, but <laughs> it was just a big group. It was early early in the season. Like I say, I've become a bigger fan actually of hunting them a little later in the season. I find it's, you know, you get a lot of the, it's a lot more challenging and the game seems to go a lot better later in the season. And I walk quite a bit and I live in a mountainous area. So we do, it is fun for me to get back in a canyon where I don't think anybody's been for quite a while and just have it all to yourself for the whole day and, you know, just play those games, you know, how those go back and forth and you win some and you lose some. (laughs) And usually when you lose some, you learn, you learn a lot. So that's really fun. Yeah, no doubt. Very good. Well, Joe, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come and do an interview with me so that the listeners of the show can learn a little bit more about you and me as well. And, you know, the the little clips there in the Turkey Country magazine are helpful, but they don't give us a whole lot of information. And so even being able to take 20 or 25 minutes with you on the phone just to tell us a little bit about yourself and let the listeners get to know you, I think, you know, really helps for us to be able to know who to vote for. And so I appreciate yeah, you taking time out to do that and, and come on today. You bet. And if anyone has any further interest in what we're doing out here, I probably post most of the things on the Southeast Idaho National Wild Turkey Federation page, as well as the Idaho National Wild Turkey Federation page. A lot of the programs and projects and things I've spoken of are are either in there, and actually several of them have been written up in Turkey Country Magazine over the last few years. So there's plenty of resources there to look and see. And if anybody has any questions, by all means, they should feel free to get a hold of me. We're always happy to share information and help everybody succeed in this. Fantastic. And are you willing to give your cell phone number? Absolutely. Okay. It's area code 208 
339-0948. And my email is lclm198 at gmail.com. Perfect. Fantastic. Well, I wish I'm you... also in, I think I'm also in the, I'm sorry, I think I'm also in the back of the Turkey Country Magazine, my information's in there as the Idaho State chapter president. So I'm always easy to find that way too, if someone has trouble finding me. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, good deal. Well, thank you again. I, I really do appreciate it. And I wish you much luck in the election of the board of directors. And I wish you a Merry Christmas as well. well thank you. You too, Andy. I appreciate it. All right. You have a great afternoon. All right. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Okay. I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Joe Foster from McCammon, Idaho. Idaho is one of those states out west that has extremely good turkey hunting right now. And the NWTF there has done a phenomenal job improving habitat and increasing the population of wild turkeys out in that area. Next up is Nelson Estes from Magnolia, Mississippi. Nelson's extremely involved with the NWTF in Mississippi, and he served as their state chapter president in the past, like most of these nominees have for their respective states. And just like all the other guys that I've interviewed, I certainly don't know them as well as they know them. And with that said, I'm going to be quiet and let Nelson Estes tell us a little bit about himself and why he's running for the National Board of Directors for the NWTF. Here's Nelson, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. I'm glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Nelson Estes, who is from Mississippi. And Nelson is one of the nominees for the NWTF National Board of Directors. And I wanted to get Nelson on today to tell us a little bit about himself and tell us also why he's running for the board of directors. So, Nelson, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. So, as I said, the first question is going to be to tell us about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. So, give us some background on you. I'm 45 years old, uh, born and reared in South Mississippi. Left for long enough to go to college, went to Southern Mississippi and Hattiesburg, and then to uh, Ole Miss and Oxford. Came back, started practicing law in 2001. Been practicing ever since then in a range of different things. I was a assistant district attorney for a period of time in Hattiesburg. Came back to Macomb and was the municipal judge in the city of Macomb, and then decided I wanted to practice uh, more than listen. So I have been doing criminal defense work, personal injury, and general practice since then. So how did you get into turkey hunting? Is this something you've been doing? basically your entire life? Did family get you into it? How did all that get going? I'm probably a little different than, than most of the folks that are members of NWTF. I, I'm a self-taught hunter. I grew up in South Mississippi and it certainly was around people that hunted for the majority of, of my young years, but my dad was never a, a big hunter of, to speak of. He would go to the woods and hunt squirrel or such as that and my uncle and and granddad were kind of the same way they weren't big deer hunters and never knew of them to turkey hunt and when i went to college as an 18 year old i got around some other guys who who deer hunted and that's kind of where i got my foot in the door and started deer hunting and just enjoyed the woods and 
as I started hanging around more camps and and some of the older folks associated with those camps, you know, hearing all their stories and and learning about that, you know, hunting is obviously more than the kill. Just fell in love with the with the idea of it, and from there branched out and and got into the turkey woods. And the first time I had one gobble a few feet away that I hadn't seen yet, it it hooked me. Uh, I, my heart about jumped out of my chest, and and I knew that's what I enjoyed doing. Uh, I think everybody that listens to this show can relate to that without a doubt. It doesn't doesn't take much to get hooked on hooked into it. So good deal. So tell us a little bit about why you're running for the National Board of Directors for the NWTF. I started volunteering for in, with NWTF about a year after I graduated law school. So I guess that'd be about 17, 18 years ago. I had a friend of mine who was active in the local chapter and, and he invited me to a meeting and went to the meeting, enjoyed the people and helped them prepare for that banquet, enjoyed the banquet. Next thing I knew, uh, four or five, six years later, the guy that had been the president of the local chapter approached me about taking over for him. That happened, and I haven't been able to get rid of it since. But uh, after after a few years, some of the folks across the state, our chapter started doing well, and I was invited to consider putting my name up for state board, and, and did. Was privileged enough to be elected to state board, and, and then after getting on the state board, I guess it was three or four years later, similar situation. A lot of the board members asked me to step up and be state chapter president i did was nominated was lucky enough to get elected to that served two terms and it, it was really during the time that that i served as state chapter president that my eyes were kind of open with nwtf and and some of the issues that existed at that time i got uh, if, if any of your listeners know anybody who was a state chapter president at that time or anybody associated with edgefield or employees and such as that they, they probably know who i am i i believe that the best way to to help and change an organization is from within i, I don't like uh criticizing the organization the people who aren't a part of it but i think internal review and objectivity is is a good thing and that's what i tried to bring to the table at our national meetings with the state chapter other state chapter presidents from across the country and and then becky humphreys to her credit when she took over started a business meeting that involves all state chapter presidents and and the national board and, and I was able to participate in one of those in my last year state chapter president but there, there are a lot of issues <clears throat> that were important to me then that that I was able to to help bring to the forefront I think a lot of those have been resolved I really am so hopeful and and uh, have such a good vision for the way I see our organization going, I hope it continues to go that way. I think our, our focus should be, I hate to use a punch word, but mission-centric. And that's where we seem to be headed more in preserving our wild turkey, preserving our, our heritage, our way of life, introducing people to hunting. It is is central to what I think we ought to be spending our time and resources on, as opposed to sponsoring, which as I understand it didn't cost us anything, but having our name on a race car, buying property and owning property and, and, and things like that. I, 
those are those are just things that would be nice to do if we had unlimited resources but the reality is we don't mm-hmm. and, and i think we've gotten away from that yeah very good so obviously i'm not going to ask you to say anything negative about any of the other guys that are running for the other seats on the board of directors and i know you wouldn't even if i did ask you to but tell us a little bit about what separates you from those other candidates and i know you probably know some or all of those gentlemen that are running against you or with you is however you want to look at that and tell us why we should cast one of our three votes that we get for you I'm glad you set it up by saying that that I wouldn't say anything bad about the other guys, and honestly, it's because I don't I don't know anything bad about them. Right. I think all of us are are running for the for the right reasons. I think all of us are running because we have a vision for the organization and think we can help achieve that vision. I know Park Shackelford. I know Mike Evans. I know Brian Perry. I, I don't think I know the other two gentlemen running, but certainly don't know anything bad about them. I I honestly have not looked at it in in the way you phrased the question. I I don't, I don't think I've looked at their bio or what I know about them and and said, Hey, I'm, I'm better than these guys. Um, The reason I'm running is, uh, is because I, I feel like I'm a a pretty good orator. My life has been as a trial attorney and, and uh, I hope I've, I've been able to hone that craft to, to, so that, in a board meeting setting, I'm, I'm able to, to put my views and my ideas forward in such a manner that, that they're clear and understood. And, and that if somebody's of a mind to agree with that, then, then they know they do. And if they're of a mind to disagree, they know that as well. I, I believe that, that the organization should continue on the road it's on, being mission-centric and spending the, the hard-earned money that we're given at these banquets and, and through other types of donations in the way that the people that gave it to us intended for it to be spent. And that's what I bring to the table. And, and if elected, that's a, the vision that I hope to, to bring to the board. Excellent. All right. So I could talk to you about the NWTF all day long, but I know you don't have all day and I don't have all day either. So we've, we've covered the business end of this phone call and that was for everybody to get to know you a little bit better and, and kind of understand where you're coming from as to why you're running for the national board. So let's jump into something, well, I hate to say a little bit more fun, but I'm going to say it anyway, <laughs> a little bit more fun. So tell us the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and one or two things that you did or that happened on that hunt that you think helped to make that hunt a success. Man, I get to brag on myself. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, first, I'll make a confession. I, I haven't killed a turkey in about two or three years, and, and that's by design. I've got a small farm in East Pike County, Mississippi, and, and Katrina hit that farm pretty hard, uh, knocked down a lot of my big woods and ran my, my turkeys off for a little while, and slowly but surely I was able to to get the habitat back. And when, when you, as we've learned through NWTF, when you – help the habitat the turkeys find a way to make their way back there as well and mm-hmm. and so for that reason I've, I've kind of been laying off of my turkeys at my farm a good bit and hunted them I guess three years ago was the last time I killed one out there and it was just 
such a special deal that I decided to, to go ahead and take him. But I, I get in the woods, you know, as much as I can, hone my calling skills and try to get them in. I just don't take them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, just trying to grow my numbers back up. But to, to get back to, to the story a few years ago, I'd gone to the woods like many a morning during turkey season and decided I was going to go out there. And, and I guess part of what I do is kind of take population or census of, uh, of what, what I've got in the woods and how they're doing and such as that. Well, this particular morning I'd gone to the woods, didn't hear a thing. And just a pretty, pretty morning though. So I, I didn't want to give up, I guess, on the beauty of God's earth and also on the hunt. So I, I stayed a little longer than I normally would have and just kind of walked around. I checked a few cameras. And every once in a while, I'd give a, a call or who to see if I could get any response and just never heard a thing. was finally coming back to the camp. And as I got right to the edge of the woods, I've got a field that's probably 15 acres or so that is a couple of hundred yards behind my camp. Well, I get, get back to the camp and get to my truck and, kind of start to take my gear off, put some of the stuff in the back seat, and slam the door. And when I slam the door, I hear one gobble out in, in the field there a couple hundred yards behind the camp. And so I quietly open the door back, and there's a trail that kind of goes along behind the back side of the camp. And, and the, that field, even though it's relatively close, you can only see just a small corner of it and then it kind of opens up uh, after you get around a, a bend and then there's a trail that goes around from the back side of that field i made the decision i couldn't tell because it startled me so much i couldn't tell exactly which part of the field the guy was in and i made the decision instead of just taking the direct route going to that open corner where i could see i decided to, to go around that trail and hopefully do a little better sneaking so I, I got my gun back out and quietly got, got some of my gear quickly and started sneaking around that road. And, of course, they can see a heck of a lot better than, than we can. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, at least hoping I could get a little bit lucky. And kept coming around. And as I came through that, that trail and got to where it joined the field, still didn't hear anything, didn't see anything. And so I get out in the field and I'm looking around pull up my binoculars and finally catch him and he was down in the corner probably 15 yards back from where I would have walked out had I gone the, the shortest distance yeah and I don't know there was something about it that just told me that that this had all happened for a reason you know and and so again kind of going against what my mode had been for for a little while of, of letting them grow I decided that God had given me this so I the field I had allowed to used to cut hay off of it. I hadn't done that in a while. And so I basically cut around, around the edge of the field and let the middle grow up for cover with deer and, and, and other wildlife. And mm -hmm. so I got down and, and actually belly crawled <laughs> through all that stuff and eased over and got to where it opens up to a food plot and got about uh, 10, 15 feet back from there. So I didn't completely break through. And again, kind of look through the vegetation there and finally see he had a couple of hens that he was messing around with. Reached down and grabbed my old slate, just hit it 
just a little bit and got his got his attention right off the bat. And he started coming straight for me and got about halfway across and just stopped and fanned out. And I said, man, this is, this is just something. So I took him right then and put a good shot on him. He, he flopped around, had to get up, you know, put to take him out. But uh, he ended up being nine and three quarter, had an inch and eight spur. Not a record book turkey, but a, a good one for South Mississippi and, yeah. and just a good story. And it's just, you know, going back to what I said earlier about when I first got into hunting, I mean, it, to me, it's it's all about giving giving the credit to God for what he's given us and the beauty of the woods and and the circle of life, you know, and it just, just, just all came together that day. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I think most of us, as we get older, I think we appreciate that a lot more and, you know, enjoy those days like that and, you know, don't necessarily have to go out with killing on our mind like we probably did 20 years ago or 30 or 40 years ago, however long it might have been for us. But, yeah, that's a that's a good story. I enjoy that. So what do you think really kind of turned the table on that hunt? Do you think it was just your familiarity with the with the land and being able to approach it approach that bird from a different way than you normally would have if you didn't know everything about it i think if if i was to say what i did that made a difference it was making the decision to go up the long way around you know and that was just a flip of a coin honestly i and again I, i don't want to get too spiritual on you but you know there's just several things that came together that that made that happen that normally would not have normally i'd have been in the truck headed home 45 minutes to an hour earlier than that and you know for whatever reason decided to stay i i've had them gobble at, at closing the door before but it's, it's rare yeah you know i i think you know whatever gave me the the reason in my head to, to take that long way around whatever it was that made me stay longer than i should whatever it was that made him gobble at closing that door i I think there's a bigger power at hand uh, in all of our lives. If I was to say that that there was one thing in control of of the turning point of that hunt, it'd be it'd be our our God. Very good. I cannot disagree with that statement. You know, you you look at all the things that have to happen the right way in order for us to be able to take a turkey, and the fact that we even can kill one is a miracle. So. You know, all those little decisions that we make throughout the hunt end up with, you know, us being able to get a picture smiling with a long beard. That's that's always a good day, and there's a reason why all that stuff does come together. So cannot disagree with you at all. Well, Nelson, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do the interview with me so we can all learn a little bit more about you, and I wish you a lot of luck with the well, congratulations on your on your nomination for the board, and I wish you a lot of luck in running for that. And hopefully, I can run across you in in Nashville if you're going to be there and say hello and shake your hand. And I hope you and your family have a very merry Christmas. Thank you. I appreciate that, and I hope to see you as well. I'll I'll be there for the leadership conference and the convention. So look me up. I certainly love to to shake your hand, and speak to you some more. Uh, and Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners. All right. Fantastic. Well, have a good day, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Goodbye.
So the interview with Nelson wraps up the interviews with the three nominees for this week. Next week, I'm going to try to bring you the interviews with the other three nominees who I'm having a very difficult time finding, but hopefully I'll be able to track them down and bring them to you next week because our ballots are due no later than January the 3rd. So I need to bring you guys the interviews with the other three nominees next week, and that still gives us a couple of weeks to get our ballot completed and in the mail to the accounting firm in Atlanta, Georgia, that's tallying all of the votes. So that is all that I have for you guys today. However, I'm going to ask you for a favor. If you would like and share the post for this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast on Twitter and on Facebook, I would be very appreciative of that. So all you have to do on Twitter is look up my account. My Twitter handle is at Turkey Hitman. And on Facebook, you can go to the I Am Turkey Hunting fan page and like the post there. Doing that really helps to spread the word about the show because it lets all of your followers on social media see that you have liked this podcast and we get additional listeners because of that. So I'm very appreciative when you guys do that for me. And now I've got to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.